your Bibles this morning and turn to the book of Mark. Mark chapter number one. Uh, missionary Mark Coffey with us this morning. And I uh, appreciate uh, their ministry so much and uh, just the friendship that we have. And uh, Brother Joe has been to Port Elizabeth, South Africa. And uh, Lord willing, the summer of 2025 is what we're shooting for uh, to bring a group uh, to South Africa. So all those pictures you might get to see in person. Uh, we're looking forward to that so much. And uh, we've already talked about a family, uh, as, as a family, how all four of us can come uh, together on the missions trip. So looking forward to uh, seeing that become a reality is our prayer. So uh, thank you so much for being here. And uh, Hudson, I appreciate you being here with him. And uh, Hudson got the wonderful job of making sure that Mark didn't go to sleep while he was driving. And so uh, I appreciate their willingness to be here. We start a new series this morning uh, called It Hurts to Serve. It hurts to serve, and we'll be through the book of Mark uh, the next many, many Sundays uh, on Sunday morning, uh, but we're going to start just kind of by asking a question. Why do I have to suffer to serve the Lord? Uh, what is it about suffering Jesus that will cost me something? The gospel of Mark is uh, the shortest of the four gospels. We know that the author is a man by the name of John Mark. He was a contemporary of the Apostle Paul, uh, who was a valuable member of one of his missionary journeys, then fell out of grace with Paul. And then at the end of Paul's life, Paul spoke and said, hey, don't forget John Mark because he's profitable for me for the ministry. Each of the gospel writers had a different audience that they were speaking to. Matthew speaking uh, primarily to the Jews, but Mark is speaking to the Gentiles. He's speaking to us uh, Mark focuses on the uh, ministry of Jesus and excludes his uh, first year, about the first year of his ministry, and uh, then doesn't talk about his birth like Luke or Matthew would. Uh, but Mark gives rapid-fire details of different miracles uh, beginning at the uh, beginning of the ministry of Jesus and then uh, right into the baptism by John the Baptist. Uh, so we see that if we're going to follow the Lord, that we can expect... A very similar circumstances, service and sacrifice, service and sacrifice, uh, which leads to the theme, Jesus is, in the book of Mark, the suffering servant. He's the suffering servant. Mark chapter number 10 and verse 45, it says, For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. Jesus didn't come to be served, he came to serve and to give his life a ransom for many, C.T. Studd said, If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. If Jesus is God and he died for me, then no sacrifice is too great. Uh, there is no sacrifice, no price that is too great for him to ask of me to make for him. So let's begin in Mark chapter 1. In verse number 1, we'll read a couple verses. And if you're writing notes this morning, you can write down number 1, the foundation. The foundation. How does Jesus' ministry begin? How does it kind of take shape? Why was he such a polarizing figure? We see that the message in verse number 1 was significant. The message, kind of our springboard. It says in verse number 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ the Son of God, the beginning of the gospel. Uh, the very first, if you're going to start somewhere, why not start at the beginning? 
rather than starting in the middle and kind of catching up uh, as you go along. Uh, but the beginning, why not start at the beginning? And that's where we see Mark's gospel takes place at the beginning. So let's pray together this morning and then we'll dive right in. Father, we thank you for the day and thank you for your word. And Lord, I ask that you please help us through your word uh, to grow today and help us to see that a life of service does involve sacrifice. Lord, at times it does hurt to serve. Uh, Lord, I ask that you please help us to see your truth uh, jump off the page this morning. Help us to uh, see how that we can uh, serve you. We can grow. And Lord, if there's someone here today that doesn't know you as their personal Savior, please help today to be their day where they make the decision to follow you with the rest of their lives. Now, Lord, I ask that you please speak to my heart. Please cleanse me of sin. Anything unconfessed in my heart, please purify me. Help me be clean as I preach your word to your people. And Lord, please show us as a church collectively how we can greater impact our community uh, Lord, by following you. And help us to see that the cost of service is well worth it. Lord, we love you and thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, the beginning, the message. If someone asked you uh, to explain the gospel, uh, what would you say? It says the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul said, Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Uh, Galatians chapter 1 and verse number 11, uh, Paul says again, But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. So if we know that it's powerful and we know that it's not a work of man, then what is it? 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 1 through 4, Paul says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received and wherein you stand. He said, by which also you're saved. It's the gospel that saves us. It's the gospel that redeems us. It says, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain, for I delivered unto you first of all that which also I received, how that Christ died for our sins according the scripture and he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scripture this is the gospel now what is the gospel it is the death burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ how Jesus came to this earth and paid the ultimate sacrifice for mankind to redeem us back to himself every person every person must choose for themselves what they will do with the gospel I cannot choose for you what you will do with the gospel I made that decision for myself personal on March the 1st 2000 when I knelt down next to my bed at my house on a Wednesday night at 10 30 and I gave my heart and life to Jesus now here's what didn't happen that night I did not become perfect I did not become sinless. I did not come to a place where I was never going to do any wrong ever again. But I can tell you what happened that night. I was forgiven. I was forgiven. Not just of past sins, not just of present sins, but future sins. I was forgiven. Something changed that night. Maybe not on the outside. I still look like the same uh, teenager. But the inside changed. And over the next 30 years. Not 30, not yet. <laughs> uh, 20 plus years, a metamorphosis has taken place. To the point where I still look the same. Not, not the comb over that I had then. Uh, but, uh, you know, and, and a little more hair on the face since then. But something has changed on the inside that's working its way out. 
It's just like that beautiful butterfly that goes into that cocoon as a caterpillar and it's formed around till Christ be formed in you, Galatians says. Uh, where Jesus does a work on the inside that you can't see, but one day a beautiful butterfly appears. And that is the moment when we step across heaven's shore where we get to see the beauty of what Jesus died for. It is the work of the gospel. It's the beginning of Jesus' ministry. It begins with the gospel. And that's Mark's perspective. He said it starts with the gospel. Every story has to have a beginning. So maybe here this morning, your beginning is today. Maybe you need a fresh beginning. Maybe you need a fresh start. Uh, But would you start with Jesus? Starting with Him. Because ultimately, there is no other starting point in your life that needs to take place other than beginning with Jesus. You start with Him. Maybe the gospel is new to you. Uh, Maybe it's something that uh, you've just been introduced to. Maybe you're recently saved. You've recently given your life to Jesus. But what does Jesus want from you? Uh, What is it about your life? Maybe you need to take a step today. We talk about next steps all the time at our church. What is that step that you need to take? Well, uh, pastor, I've never been saved, but what are the next steps? None of the other steps matter if you haven't taken the first one. Don't worry about steps two, three, four, five, and beyond. Worry about step number one, the gospel. Has the gospel impacted your life? The message, but not only the message, we see the messenger. In verses two through eight, we're introduced in Mark's gospel to a wild man. And that is an understatement. Uh, we see a man named John the Baptist. All right, and it's not that he was a Baptist. All right, it's just that that was his title, John the Baptist. And we see in verse number two, it says, "And it is written in the prophets: Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee." John the Baptist, the Greek word baptizo. What? Why was he called John the Baptist? He was John the Baptizer. Baptizo, to be baptized. John was baptizing new converts in a new way. Verse 3, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Verse 4, John did baptize in the wilderness and preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sin. What was it about John the Baptist that made him significant? Both Isaiah and Malachi both prophesied that someone would come before Jesus and share details about him before his arrival. We know the story from Luke chapter number 1, how that John had his own miraculous birth, uh, how he grew up in the desert and ate bugs and honey, yum, and how he ate, uh, how he looked crazy and he dressed wild in weird clothes. But the thing that stood out about him was that he preached the truth without apology. He preached the truth without apology. But his message was interesting. If the messenger itself wasn't weird enough, the message itself was different. What did he say? Verse 4, he did baptize in the wilderness and he preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. He preached repent, turn from sin, and then Act on that decision. You know what that is? That's biblical salvation. Uh, It's repentance. It's turning from our sin. It's turning to the Savior. And then it's acting on that decision by taking steps of faith. That is salvation. Now, some would say, well, uh, Pastor, this is an argument for baptismal regeneration where you have to be baptized to be saved. But my argument is you can't look at it through the lens of our culture. You have to look at it through the lens of their culture. 
In Acts chapter number 2 and verse 38, Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Remember the time period they were living in. And they were living in a time period that was not pro-Jesus. You know, I know we, we live in the Shenandoah, good old Shenandoah Valley, in the good old U.S. of A. and the great commonwealth of Virginia. But just remember that our area is not always pro-Jesus either. Okay? And so we're all on the same page, different time period than today. But here was the difference. It was easy to say that you were a follower of Jesus with no evidence. None. It was easy to say, yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I follow Jesus. But what's the proof? The proof. Uh, What was the difference? Let's go back to John the Baptist. Uh, What did John the Baptist do differently than everybody else? He baptized people. That was the difference. He baptized you. And by signifying, I'm getting baptized, you're saying, I'm saying no to all of the way that I used to live. I'm saying no to the traditions of the law, the traditions of men, the way that I grew up. And I'm following a new teacher. It was an outward sign of an inward decision. That's what baptism is. A baptism is not salvation. Baptism has nothing to do with your salvation. If you are lost and you get into the baptistry and you get baptized, guess what? You come out a wet lost person. It does not save you. A decision of faith before baptism is what saves you. Baptism is what we see on the outside. You say, I am a follower of Jesus. I identify with this group of crazy people. That's your decision. And that was their decision. It was them making a public profession of their faith that I am now a follower of Jesus Christ. It was different That's why it says in Acts chapter number 2 and verse 41, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. If you received Christ, it was a foregone conclusion that you would take that step. Paul said in Romans chapter 6 verse 4, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. Why would Paul say that? Because getting baptized could very likely get you killed. Oh, preacher, I'm not signing up for that class, you know. But that was the decision. They were willing to take the step if that's what it meant to follow Jesus. That is a far cry from 2023 Christianity. Hey, you know, I mean, I I have to get up early on Sunday morning. Uh, I have to do something. You expect me to come more than one time? I mean, you expect me to serve, Pastor? I mean, it, it hurts to serve. I mean, what's up with that? It's called biblical Christianity. It's called the cost of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. It hurts. It involves sacrifice. Remember, Jesus continued the thought process in Mark, Mark chapter 8, verse 34. And he said, whosoever will come after me, if you're going to follow me, let him deny himself. And take up his cross and follow me. See, following Jesus is designed to hurt. It's designed to be painful. See, no one ever picked up a cross who wasn't destined to be hung on it to die. You didn't just say, well, man, what would be something new that we could do that would be exciting? I know, let's go get crucified. Nobody did that. Nobody in their right mind. 
And that when Jesus was saying, you're going to pick up your cross and you're going to follow me, that is the cost of surrender. That is the cost of sacrifice. That is what it takes to follow me. People said, peace out. No way. But a select few said, if that's what it takes, if that's what it costs, count me in. Hey, this morning, are you one of those people who says, count me in? Hey, if it costs some sacrifice, if it costs a little hurt, if it costs uh, following Jesus and somebody calling me names or somebody ridiculing me or criticizing me or me not getting promoted like somebody else because I'm outspoken about my faith or it costs me uh, financially or my time or my talent that God has given to me, if that's what it takes, then I'm in. I'm in. Are you in today? Are you in? Are you uh, obeying the message? Are you following the messenger? Are you in? Uh, It costs something. The foundation of the Christian life is one that involves a death. Death to your will. Death to your desires. Maybe death to your dreams. But are you in this morning? We see the foundation is there. But we see number two, the favor that's mentioned. Look at verse number 9, Paul, uh, uh, John the Baptist's message, all of these different things, never elevated himself more highly than he should have. But it says in verse number 9, it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized of John in Jordan. Now, we see, number one, under this point, the baptism. The baptism. Well, you could simply ask, why did Jesus get baptized? Uh, it says in verse number 4, John's message was very clear. We're getting baptized as a sign that our sins have been forgiven. But if you're sinless, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. If you didn't have sin, why did you get baptized? Why would Jesus submit himself to this death? Even Pilate said in his trial in Luke 23, 4, I find no fault in this man. Why would Jesus do something like this when he did not have to? It's very simple. By being baptized, he associated himself with sinners. You think about it. By being baptized, he placed himself Among the guilty, he who knew no sin became sin for us. He placed himself in the group. He identified with you. But what is baptism a picture of? It's a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection. So what is Jesus saying? I am here because of you to die for you. Now think about that. Jesus came not only to be identified with us, but to die for us. He was painting a picture of what would come. He's telling everybody, I was sent to die. James Montgomery Boyce said the cross stands as the focal point of the Christian faith. Without the cross, the Bible is an enigma. And the gospel of salvation is an empty hope. See, Jesus couldn't come to this earth to live for us to have redemption. He had to come to this earth to die for us to have redemption. He had to die. Sin's debt had to be paid for with a perfect sacrifice, a spotless lamb. But it couldn't just be the passing from one year to the next. Jesus would have had to come back year after year to die. It had to be an eternal sacrifice. What does that mean? It means that someone who was eternal and is eternal had to have their life ended, had to end their life. 
for us to have an eternal sacrifice paid. Someone who was eternal had to die. But aren't you glad that the story of redemption doesn't end at the cross? Aren't you glad that he may have said it is finished at the cross, but the story was far from over? And you think about your life, you might think, well, pastor, if I follow Jesus, if I'm going to serve him, if I'm going to have to be hurt, then my life might be over. Uh, my value might be over. My dreams might be over. But I'm glad today that just because of what happened at the tomb, the story is not over. Your story. Are you all awake this morning? I mean, good night. Come on. Jesus died for us. The fact that he rose for us and he allows us to be a part of what he's doing in us. It's not just about suffering. It's about following the baptism that's involved. But not only that, we see the blessing that's involved. Jesus was baptized, but then uh, we see in verse number 10, it says, and straightway coming, out up, uh, coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens open and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. And there came a voice from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. In something that can only be seen as incredible, as Jesus is coming out of the water. Say, Pastor, why is that a big deal? Because salvation is first and then baptism is by immersion under the water. All right. If you've been sprinkled, I remember, never forget, uh, we had a lady come to our house and she had questions about her next step. And I asked her when she received Christ, she told me, and, and I said, when did you get baptized? And she said, well, I got sprinkled right after I got saved. And I said, well, let's, let's just time out for a second. I said, if you said you got sprinkled, you've not been baptized yet. And just like, no concept. Uh, what, what do you mean? Because Bible, baptizo, means to immerse. If you're going to bury a body at a funeral, you don't just go out and you take a handful of dirt and say, be buried. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. If you've been to a funeral service, you've been to a graveside, everybody leaves and they bury, completely submerge that casket into the ground. You don't just come back and see all the coffins all over the cemetery. They're buried, buried by the likeness of his death, raised to walk in the newness of life. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He came out of the water. And it says that we see the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove land on Jesus. And then we hear a voice from heaven that speaks about Jesus. So in two verses you see the Trinity on full display. You see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All in one. Three distinct beings, all the same God. And you see that in Genesis chapter number 1, in verse number 26. And God said, let us make man. Now you think about that. There was no creation at that point. There was no other people at that point. So who is God talking to? Himself. Oh, he's talking to the Trinity, but he's talking to himself. And let us make man in our image. All plural. And we see, and again in 1 John chapter 5, verse 7, there are three that bear record in heaven. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. The Word is not talking about the Bible, by the way. We see in John chapter 1, verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. It's talking about Jesus, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You see it referenced again in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9. For in Him, Jesus, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead, the Trinity, all three parts. So this is a biblical truth on display. This is a doctrinal truth on display. 
But it's also the first mention of the word in the book of Mark, straightway. Straightway. You say, Pastor, what does that mean? It means immediately. Now, it'll become a little bit more involved as we go along. But these two words are mentioned more in the book of Mark than any other book of the Bible. 36 times. 36 times. Over and over. Straightway. Immediately. But God the Father speaks about the Son and voices His pleasure in Jesus' decision. It reminds us of Isaiah chapter 53 and verse number 10 when it says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise Him. It pleased the Lord to, blu- to bruise Him. He hath put Him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. This course was the plan of God all along to send Jesus. You think about when man and and, uh, woman sinned, Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden. This was not a whoops, caught caught, caught God by surprise. I can't even talk this morning. Sin did not catch God by surprise. There was never, this was not plan B. You know, plan A is that man is going to live perfect in the garden for all eternity. No, plan A was Jesus coming to die for mankind all along. It didn't surprise God. God was already expecting mankind to fail. God had already, before the foundation of the world, in God's eyes, Jesus was already dead, buried, and risen from the grave, slain before the foundation of the world. He had already been destined to die. So this was God's plan all along. He was well pleased. He's validating the cross in the life of Jesus. Telling us that this is my son and this is my plan. You know what it tells me? That when God looks down at us and the things that catch us by surprise don't catch God by surprise. So the things that happen in our life that are out of our control are always God's will for our life. The things that you and I can't control, we can't affect, we can't do. That's God leading, God's plan unfolding in our life. So, Pastor, I don't like that. I don't like it either. But God's plan is bigger than my plan. You know, if if you had said, hey, Pastor, write down your plan when you were a kid, I was going to play baseball because it was fun. And as I got older, it was other things. And those things changed over time to now where we say, all right, God's plan for me is just to preach the gospel. And you know what? It's awesome. You know why? Because I know beyond the shadow of a doubt that I'm doing exactly what God created me to do. Hey, can you say that? Can you say that you're doing exactly what God created you to do? We see the baptism We see, number two, uh, the blessing, how that God blessed his son and his decision-making. And then number three, we see the burden. The burden. Immediately following the decision, he's led into the wilderness for 40 days. Look at verse 12. And immediately, there it is, immediately the Spirit driveth him into the wilderness. And he was there in the wilderness 40 days, tempted of Satan, and was with the wild beasts, and the angels ministered unto him. Now, Jesus is on a spiritual high, as far as we're concerned. You know, he's God, we're not, but Jesus is on a spiritual high, and then he's led to a place where Satan tempts him to fall. Isn't that how Satan works in our life? Man, we have a great Sunday, great worship, have a great time with our friends and uh, believers in Christ, and man, woo, we had a great day. And then Monday happens. The worst day of the week. And everything breaks loose. The world is on fire. Your mind is drawn away on on Monday. It's drawn away from everything that happened on Sunday. And all of a sudden, we're in the throes and the pit of despair. 
You know? But we think about, why is that? Because Satan knows that if we live in the past, we're easy prey. If we focus on those things that are behind us, we're easy prey. Philippians chapter 3, verse 13. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. Do you know that there's a reason that the windshield is bigger than the rearview mirror? There's a reason for that. Uh, do you understand that there's a reason that you're supposed to look ahead and not behind you? Why is it that we spend so much time, and I, I asked a couple guys to come help me. You guys can come at this time and to help me. Josiah and uh, Adam and Scott, you guys come help me. And uh, let me get uh, Isaiah and Nathaniel. You guys can come and help me just real quick because I need somebody to hold this. Uh, so we think about the rear view mirror, all right? And just for, for illustration's sake, you three guys, if you'll just kind of stand right here in the middle, right there, right there, right there. All right, there we go. All right. And Isaiah and Nathaniel, you, you guys stand right here and just hold this. You, if you'll do one on each side, that'd be awesome. All right? Okay. So imagine just for a moment that we're driving down the road in our car. Driving very far. All right. Okay. So think about your life. All right. This is future and these guys are past, okay? Future ahead of me, past behind me. You guys can hold that up just a little bit, all right? Okay, so think about our life. This is our life. We all have a past. Yes? Yes? Okay, we all have a past. And let's just go ahead and admit it. We all have stuff in the, behind us that we would love to forget. We would we regret. Say, there's stuff behind me that I wish never would have happened, but I can't change it. All right, so think about it. Think about that. You cannot change what's in the past. You'll regret it the rest of your life, but you should not let it control you the rest of your life. All right, but there's always stuff in the past. You guys do what you're supposed to do. Okay? All right, don't stop. All right? They'll always be here doing this. The past and church... The past is going to do this all your life. You know why? Because you got this thing called a rearview mirror that's right here. And as much as I want to avoid this and this, they'll always be there. The past will always be there. But no matter what I do, I get to choose where I'm going to focus. See, I can look at this rearview mirror all day long and I can focus on the past. And you know what's going to happen? I'm going to wreck the car. I'm going to wreck the car. In our illustration, you're going to wreck your life. Because we focus on the past and we allow this that we cannot control to control our life. We cannot change what's in the past. All I can do is what's ahead of me. Now, all y'all wave at me. Okay? All of you, not some of you. All right, here you go. All of you, wave at me. There's a whole lot more. Don't stop. Don't stop. There's a whole lot more of you out there. Now, here it is. Just keep waving and pay attention. Here we go. Ready? There's a whole lot more of you out there than there is back here. But it's easy for me to allow this to be my focus instead of this. 
It's easy for me to allow my past to control my life. But look at all the opportunity that God has for me saying, hey, this way. My attention, hey, look this way. Look this way. Thank you, you guys. You can be seated. Thank you guys for helping. Now, their arms are tired. Give them a hand. But don't we get it? Hey, there is so many other things ahead of us that God wants us to focus on. God wants to draw our attention to ahead of us. But how often do we spend more time looking in the rear view, focusing on, man, Pastor, you, God would never want to use me. Pastor, you don't know what I did when I was in high school, when I was in college, and you don't know the decisions that I made and the failures that I did, and all the things my family doesn't even associate with me anymore. Uh, you know, I just I have a bad reputation because of the things that I did, and all of those things that I said, and the friendships that I lost. And uh, Pastor, God would never want to use me because of what's behind you, and you don't even consider what might be ahead of you. Hey, God has great things ahead. Uh, can I say this again? Uh, let me just flip that around. It is not for us to focus on the victories in the past either. Now, hey, I was, have you ever heard this? Man, when I was in high school, I was pretty something. I was, I was something. Hey, I, I was a star and bleh, whatever it is, you know? Hey, when I was younger, I could do this and this and this. Stop looking in the past. Stop looking in the past. Hey, nobody cares. We don't. It sounds good with all your buddies around the campfire, but nobody cares. Hey, you cannot change the past, but you can alter your future. Stop looking back there, whether it's positive or negative. Stop looking back. And look ahead. What does God have for me this year? What does God want me to do? How can I serve Him? How can I be involved? How can I do something for Him? How can I do something in the kingdom this year? I'm not worried about what happened in 2022. Hey, I thought 2022 was pretty good. But I can't focus back there. I can't live back there. I have to look ahead and what He has for me this year. Keep looking ahead. Uh, you know, what got you to the point where you are right now is not going to get you through the rest of this year. What got you here won't get you there. We've got to say, God, speak to me. Show me there. Show me how to get there. Hebrews 12, 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. You realize that? He looked and saw joy and said, you know what? To get to the joy, I have to go through pain. And you know what Jesus did? He endured. He went through it. As someone said, the first step towards getting somewhere is to decide that you're not going to stay where you are. Make that decision. In the middle of the temptation, angels ministered to Jesus. And isn't it great to know that even as the Son of God, He wasn't alone? He didn't go through what he went through alone. And if Jesus went through and needed encouragement and fellowship, why do we think we don't? You know, Pastor, I'm a loner. Not according to the Bible, you're not. See, mankind was created with a need for community, and that community is called the local church. 
We were created for community. We need each other. Well, pastor, I don't like that person who's sitting over there. Tough. Deal with it. You need them. You need each other. We need each other. I need you. You need me. We all need each other. We are the local church. And we need to live out who he created us to be. We see the foundation. We see the favor. And then lastly this morning, we see the following. As Jesus begins his ministry, we see that John's ministry comes to an abrupt end. Between verse number 13 and 14, about a year have transpired. Fast forward is a small thing. Fast forward a year. It says Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. The message didn't change. Time went on, but the message didn't change. We see the timing in verse 14 and 15. What we don't see is the passing of time. While we know that John was put into prison, a whole year goes by, the only real knowledge of this time period comes from John's gospel. From John chapter 1 to verse to chapter number 4 is the time period that we miss in Mark's gospel. So we miss four chapters of the Word of God that are spelled out in John 1 through 4. But remember, John said in John chapter 3 verse 30, he must increase and I must decrease. So John fades off the scene. We'll hear about him later, but he fades off the scene. And it shows us a great truth that each of us have a timetable. You don't get to serve God forever. Oh, pastor, man, I just, I have to serve the Lord. You said it. I have to serve him. No, you don't. You get to. You get to serve God. But you don't get to serve him forever. You have a timetable. There will come a day when Mark Coffey will either die in South Africa or he'll have to come off the field in South Africa. And somebody will have to either rise up and take his place or souls perish because someone doesn't. So say, well, pastor, that's a missionary. What about you as a Sunday school teacher? What about you as a musician? What about you as a singer? What about you? Hey, what are we doing to help the next generation? You know, I don't accept the notion that the church of Christ is dying or going out. I don't believe that. I see a new ministry, a new way of ministry that's just as strong, just as impactful, just as faithful to this book as there ever has been. We might look different, act different, sing different style of music. We might have different facial hair. We might have different hairstyles. But make no mistake, we are still passionate about the Word of God, still passionate and desiring to see God do a work in people's lives and desire to see Him move in the next generation. Just as passionate. We don't major on the minors. I'm not beating up the previous generation, but that was a fault. Majoring on the minors. Hey, we major on the majors. We preach about stuff just as much as the Bible does. We talk about it just as much as the Bible does. Oh, pastor, when are you going to talk about this? When the Bible says it. When the Bible says it. When we roll right through that passage of Scripture, man, we'll hit it hot and heavy just like Jesus did. But if it doesn't say it, we're not preaching it. Hey, it's not gospel unless it's in the book. It's not doctrine unless it's in the book. Well, pastor, what about this, this little pet peeve? No, 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 no. If it's in the book, God wants us to talk about it. If it's not in the book, it's not, brought, it's not getting brought up. I'm sure that there are places that might do that, but not at Crossroads. We don't do that. We talk about the things that God talks about. And we focus there. Mark 13, verse 31. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. 
His Word. See, I could come in here and tell you all of the things that I like and dislike about life and things that I would or wouldn't do, and it will not impact your heart and life. But if we focus on the Word of God, it has lasting change in all of us. The Word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than every, any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing of sunder of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart, Hebrews 4.12. See, we focus on the Word of God, the timing. Then number two, we see the trade. As Jesus is walking, it says he walked by the Sea of Galilee. He saw Simon and Andrew's brother casting a net. Now, fishing is a common practice okay, in their culture. Some of you say, well, that would be a wonderful culture to have. Uh, But Jesus offers a trade. He says, follow me. In just a few words. But why would Jesus approach them? They're cultural nobodies. You would even argue that most of them were social misfits. Not going to do anything. But while they were faithful to their trade, Jesus saw them as men who would be faithful to a calling. And in short, he saw what they could become as greater value than what they were at the moment. Pastor, why is that a big deal? Because you might look at your life and say it's nothing and not worth anything. But Jesus doesn't see you as where you are right now. He sees potential. He doesn't see your past. He sees potential. He sees what you could become. Well, you know, I've done this and I'm this and I've been. Jesus says, but I know what you can be. I know what you can be. And do we honestly think that the work of Jesus is limited by us? Do you honestly think that Jesus can't do a work because of you? That's arrogance, not ignorance. He can do anything that he desires to do. And he allows us to be a part of it. The trade. You know, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now unto him that's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. At Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ. Which strengthens me. Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship, creating Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. The trade. He said, follow me. Follow me. And what happens? We see the trusting. The trusting. Verse 17 through 20. When you think about the gravity of what happened next, it's mind-boggling. Look at verse 17. And Jesus said unto them, come after me, and I will make you fisher, to become fishers of men. And straightway. There's that word. And straightway. What they do? They forsook their nets and followed him. Verse 20, and straightway he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the ship. They didn't just follow, okay. Don't think about what they went to do. Think about what they left behind. See, these men were, had, some of them were mending. Some of them were using their nets, and they dropped everything to follow him. They didn't know him. Some random guy comes up to you on the street and says, hey, follow me. What's the number one question you're going to ask? Why? Or where are we going? They didn't ask. They obeyed. Hey, if Jesus comes by your seat today and says, follow me, you going to ask a question or are you going to obey? Jesus, the Son of God, follow me. And they went. Why would someone follow Jesus into the unknown, not knowing what was ahead of them? You tell me. Why would you follow Jesus into the unknown, not knowing what's ahead of you? It's called faith. The just shall live by faith. 
Without faith, it's impossible to please him. If it's not of faith, it's sin. Why would you follow? Why would I follow? You know, here's why. Because you and I both know the same thing. That a step of faith is worth it when I know who's leading the way. A step of faith is worth it when I know who's leading the way. As one preacher said, we don't have to know what tomorrow holds as long as we know the one who holds tomorrow. It's all about who we're following. Well, pastor, I thought you talked about uh, this is going to be a series about hurts to serve. It is. But before we talk about service, you have to first talk about who you're following. And if you have not made that decision of who you're following, it doesn't matter about the service. It hurts to serve. He doesn't tell you where you're going first. He says, follow me. He doesn't lay it out. Jesus gives you a blank contract and says, sign your name right there. I'll fill in the blanks as we go along. That is not fun. But it is worth it. But it requires faith. Have you trusted in him? Are you continuing to trust in him day by day as an act of faith? Hey, pastor, what are we going to do this year? Uh, when, when are we building? When are we relocating? How's the school going? I have no idea. But I do know that we're taking steps of faith. Hey, at the end of the day, that is all he asks us to do is to follow him. And that requires faith. Are you, today, are you following Jesus. Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. Let me ask you today, has there been a time in your life when you've made that decision to follow Jesus? Have you personally decided to follow him? Maybe in your personal life you would say this morning, whether in the room or watching online, I've never made that decision to follow Jesus. I don't know if I died, I'd be on my way to heaven. Hey, I'd like to pray for you. I don't want to embarrass you or come and talk to you or send somebody to talk to you after the service, but I would like to pray for you. I'd like to be your friend right here in this moment. Hey, pastor, please pray for me. I don't know if I died. I don't know that I'm following Jesus. I don't know in my life that I've ever made that decision for myself. Maybe you would flip it around and say, I think I am. I I hope that I am, but maybe you don't have that confidence. Maybe you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Hey, can I pray for you and be your friend today? Would you, while no one's looking around and heads bowed, would you simply slip up your hand long enough for me to see it and say, Pastor, hey, pray for me. That's me. Thank you for your honesty. You can put your hand down. Maybe somebody else would say, hey, Pastor, uh, pray for me. Uh, Somebody already raised their hand, but would you pray for me? I'm not sure. I don't have that confidence like you're talking about. I don't know that I'm saved. That's where I was when I was 17 years old and I trusted Christ as my personal Savior. I didn't know. I had a doubt that when I died, I was going to heaven. Maybe that's your story. Could I pray for you? Pastor, I'm not sure that I'm saved. Please pray for me. Is that you? I don't want to miss you, but I do want to pray for you. I haven't raised my hand yet, but I'll raise it right now. Pastor, pray for me. I'm not sure. Pray for me. You know, salvation is as simple as knowing that you have a need, that you're a sinner. The Bible says so. Every single one of us. Nobody perfect. And it's believing that Jesus died to meet that need. When he went to the cross, he paid for your sin. And then simply asking him to apply what he did on the cross to your life. That's what salvation is. It's not some magical, mystical experience. It's simply taking a step of faith. 
saying, I'm trusting God that the promise he made in his word applies to me. And I'm taking him at his word. That's what salvation is. If you're here this morning and you have questions about that, or maybe you just want to write there in your seat, if you're struggling or you have a concern or you have a doubt, if you want to talk to him this morning, do it. If he's speaking to your heart, if he's knocking on your heart's door, talk to him today. Do what he is speaking to you about. Maybe you're struggling in an area of following Jesus. Maybe you're not following Jesus. Maybe you've given him your heart, but you're just not walking with him. Would you talk to him this morning about what you need? Our personal workers are going to need it up front in just a moment and would love to help you take a step, whatever that step needs to be, as you seek to follow Jesus. We would love to take the Bible and encourage you and pray with you that you'll take the step that he's leading you to take. But that decision is completely up to you. Following Jesus is a step-by-step journey. Don't worry about the 20th step. Worry about one. Worry about taking that first step with Jesus. Pastor, I've already gotten that step taken care of. What's your next step? What is he leading you to do? What does he desire for you? Is it taking that step in baptism? Is that discipleship? Is that church membership? Is that service in something new? What is it? Maybe it's helping someone else take their next step. But would you simply talk to the Lord about taking your step today? Father, thank you so much for your word. and Thank you for the challenges that you've given to us. Lord, I ask that you please help us to strive to follow you with our lives. Help us to be committed as we decide to follow Jesus. Lord, I thank you so much for what you've done and will do. Please bless as only you can. Help people to be serious this morning about following you where you lead. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with us, please. We're going to sing that old chorus, I have decided to follow Jesus. Pastor Tim is going to lead us. Our personal workers are down front. If you need to talk to someone this morning, someone to pray with you, we're here for you. Let us help you today. Whatever you need, let's sing together. And if you need to come to the altar, the altar's open. You come and pray, talk to a worker, whatever you need today. Pastor Tim.